And uh, the rest of you can turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to be talking about the day of the Lord, which is a, a pretty cool subject. Last week, Pastor David talked about the coming of the Lord or um, the subject of the rapture. Now, uh, no doubt some of you may have been challenged by what he taught, and you may be challenged a bit this morning as well. So glad you're here. (laughs) It can be very hard sometimes to believe something with your whole heart and then have somebody... um, you know, ask you to question that or, or challenge that notion a little bit. Uh, this has happened several times in my life. You know, started with Santa, and then, uh, then, and then it was. Uh, you know, I was Roman Catholic, and and so I had to go through that process, and and uh, eventually, it came to kind of this subject that we're talking about today, and and that would be the pre-trib rapture. I would just tell you that um, it's been worth it because truth matters. And sometimes the way we get to truth is by testing what we currently believe. And I know this is something that is, is pat, you know, people are passionate about. And so um, just, you know, try to keep an open mind and, and listen with, with uh, you know, we're, we're, we're going to try to be gentle as, as far as this stuff goes. Because, um, you know, if you, if you didn't know now, I just kind of tipped my hand and, and, you know, you now know that. We don't subscribe to what has become probably the most popular end times view held by American Christians today, the pre-trib rapture. And, and, you know, I wasn't here last week to hear the audible gasps when David probably first talked about it, but, you know, I didn't hear anybody gasp today. But um, in case you're not familiar with this, which I don't know who isn't if you're a Christian and been in the church for a while, but this is the view that Jesus returns to pull the church out of the world before bad stuff starts to go down. Um, I'll just be honest and say That is my favorite view by far. If I got to vote, I would vote for that every time. I really like that view and I I wish that I was convinced of it. But we're not supposed to choose our view on how much we like it, but rather uh, how biblical it is. And and I am now, I now have a conviction, even though I want that to be the right view, that that maybe it's not the best view. And I want to also say, notice that I said my conviction. People differ on this stuff. Godly, good godly people have have talked about these things over the years and have landed in different camps. And it's okay. It's totally okay to walk out of here today not agreeing with me. It won't probably be the first or the last time that happens, right? Um, But I just want you to understand that our heart is to make sure that the church, that you, people we love, are prepared for whatever may come your way. And, and, and so that's kind of just the heart behind this. I also want to just point out, because I, I, these are uncertain things, and these are things that we can get worked up about. In Matthew 24, Jesus' disciples came to him privately, and they asked him, what would be the signs of his coming and the, of the end of the age? And, and Jesus says a whole bunch of stuff, which we're going to look at a little bit later. But he says something towards the end that's really important, and it gets to the heart of why we need to talk about these things. He said, see... I have told you beforehand. And I just love that. Guys, I've told you this stuff beforehand. Thank you, Jesus, for doing that. I'm the kind of person that needs to be told beforehand because I get freaked out otherwise. He wants us to be prepared and filled with hope when it comes to this topic. He wants us to be secure and not scared. Amen? And it can be a scary thing to think about. We see the same idea in the section that David was in last week, where Paul starts out that section by saying, we do not want you to be uninformed or ignorant about what's coming like the people who have no hope. So talking about these things, it's it's supposed to fill us with hope. And that's what I hope we do. 
So wherever you land on this subject, it should create courage and hope in the believer and not fear and uncertainty. And that's, that's my, my, my goal and my hope. Now, as David pointed out last week, there are two extremes that Christians seem to gravitate towards when it comes to end times. They either make them everything or they make them nothing. They spend, you know, no time at all looking into it because, you know, these things are hard to understand and, and it's just not worth the effort. So they, they avoid them completely or they spend like all their time on YouTube going down rabbit trails, almost like, I don't know, it's funny to me that you have these people that are amateur sleuths and it's like they're starring in National Treasure where they, if they can get all the right pieces together and put the, you know, get they'll, they'll figure this whole thing out. And it's like, knock it off. You're not going to figure this stuff out. <laughs> um, a lot of these things are just simply unknowable. We can speculate all day long, but we're not going to get to the bottom of everything. And I don't think we need to. So bottom line is that we should be as prepared as possible for what's coming. And we should be eagerly anticipating Jesus's return. Right? It's something we should be thinking about every day, not obsessing over all the details, but thinking about the fact that he's coming back every day. Because when you continually think about Jesus's return, it changes your perspective and your outlook on everything. It fills your day with purpose and direction and hope. And we need that because we'll get so sidetracked if we're looking at everything else. So think about his return. Think about it every day. Think about it often. A few quick ground rules as we get into this, because unfortunately we need them because this is one of the, I said, this is one of those things that people get kind of heated about. First one, be humble. Okay. I will be the first to say that I've been wrong about some of my conclusions in the past, and I'll probably be wrong about some of my conclusions again, when it comes to this, this subject, we are talking about future events. How many of you are just solid at predicting future events? Yeah, me neither. So, so be humble about this stuff, right? We, we can't let things that, um, are uncertain divide us. It's okay for us to agree to disagree when it comes to this kind of topic. So, like I said, if you leave here today, disagreeing with me, that's okay. But if we break fellowship over this, if we divide over this, we're doing it wrong guys. There, there's no reason that we can't love each other and disagree on these things that are uncertain. And I hope that's your mindset. Uh, remember, we're supposed to comfort each other with these words, not tear each other apart and beat each other up. But that's what sometimes happens. I think that just, just, I think that really grieves our Lord when we, when we do that, when we get to that point. So this isn't something um, that, that we're supposed to fight over. It's a joyous thing to study and talk about. And I'll admit, I geek out over these things. I become a, like, I almost lisp when I start talking about like the, inter- the stuff about the end times is so cool. I get, <laughs> I get that excited to where I get really it, sometimes my passion and excitement can almost come across as, um, you know, like I'm being too intense about it. I don't mean it that way. I just love this discussion. I love this topic. It's great, but I need to be humble when I'm, when I'm doing this. And so we all need to have that. Be humble. Second ground rule, be teachable. <laughs> Please be teachable. I want you to know that I'm still learning. I haven't got this all figured out. And if somebody tells you they have, I don't think they're telling the truth. I mean, these are just hard things to figure out. Don't be one of those people who refuses to consider things. Truth can be tested. It will hold up to scrutiny. Okay. So be willing to approach this subject without any preconceived ideas. This is so important and earnestly seek to discover the truth. Because what happens is if we come in trying to look through a grid or a lens that we've been told to look through, that's all we're going to see. You know, the other day I, I was, I was drinking this, uh, this drink and I've, my taste buds are pretty messed up still because of COVID, which I had back in August. Don't freak out. 
Um, but things don't taste right. And so I'm drinking something that I normally like, and it tastes really weird to me. And so I asked my wife, who's, you know, my, my loving companion, hey, would you taste this and tell me what you think? And as she's drinking it, I shouldn't have done this, but I said, tastes like wet dog, doesn't it? <laughs> well, guess what? Then it did. You know, I don't, if I would have shut my mouth and not, not suggested that, who knows what she would have said. She probably would have said it tastes fine. But the minute I introduced, hey, doesn't that taste like wet dog? She agreed. See, that's what we do when we, when we come in with a preconceived idea. Yeah. Sorry, honey. I was guilty of doing that very thing with this subject. And that's why I know, um, I was told, look for this, only look for this. And that's all I did. And that's, that's a problem. So I want you to just think about this. When you're looking at end time stuff, try to think about what the reader would have naturally understood when they read this, what would have made plain sense to them and, and make sure that you're consistent with the words and the phrases that are used here. So for instance, last week, David talked about the coming of the Lord. The Greek word for coming is parousia. If you study that word parousia and look at how it's used everywhere in the scriptures, you can't have it mean one thing here and something else over here. And that's exactly what you have to do. So in first Thessalonians, everywhere that word is used, it's pretty clearly talking about Jesus' second coming. In chapter 4, the passage David was in last week, people say, well, that, that time it's talking about the rapture. Well, why? Why not be consistent with the way it's used? Same thing with the day of the Lord. Same thing with words like uh, caught up, which is, we don't, the word rapture is not in the Bible. It's a Latin word, rapturo, but it just means caught up. But there's other places it says we're gathered. Same kind of thing, or we meet up, or that we rise. So, so again, try to be consistent with these phrases. If you have to do gymnastics with the scriptures to hold to your view, maybe it's not the best view. And again, I would, I'm telling myself this, this as much as I'm telling anybody else, okay? And then the last ground rule, when it comes to what we do know, what we can know, stand firm, all right? And what I'm talking about is Jesus is coming back. Jesus is going to return. He is going to set up his kingdom of that. We can be sure. So there's things that we can, you know, hold loosely that one. I will not hold loosely and I will not budge on that. I will go to the mat figuratively because I ain't wrestling anybody anymore, (laughs) but, but you know, you know, metaphorically, I'll go to the mat on that one. Uh, because it's, it's something that is the hope of the Christian. If that goes away, our hope goes away. Jesus is coming back. The details we might get wrong that we will not budge on. Amen. Amen. It's an essential. So my goal is not to convince you that my way is the right way. I'm not trying to win an argument. That's not my goal in this. My goal is to make sure that you are prepared for what is coming, especially if you believe or what you believe may leave you unprepared. And, and the reason I say that is because, again, if you think that you're going to be taken away before all the bad stuff starts to go down and then you start seeing it happen, <laughs> you know, what is that going to do to the Christian? A lot of Christians think that way. Yeah, I'll never have to go through anything hard. And then stuff that's really hard and even stuff that, well, that's supposed to be happening in this time period starts going down. What is that going to do to your faith? So again, if you walk out of here only with that little tiny notion of like, there was this weird pastor one time in Sun River that said something like, maybe this could be, praise God. That's all I'm, that's all I'm, I'm shooting for is just keep that in mind. Maybe your view isn't the right one. Maybe my view is not the right one, but be open to the idea that there's a possibility we may have to go through some of these things. Okay. Okay. In chapter four, this is where David was last week, and I just want to make sure we're all caught up to the same place in case you weren't here. Paul has just addressed the topic that was of great concern to this new church. They had questions about what was going to happen to those who died prior to Jesus' return. 
the idea was, are they just out of luck? Um, did, did they miss out on the kingdom? And Paul assures them that those who have died will rise again. And in fact, they get to do it before the rest of us do. So if you're alive at that point, they get to go first, we get to go second. So these are the order of events just to catch everybody up. In 1 Thessalonians 4, starting in verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command. That sounds loud. With the voice of an archangel. That sounds loud. And with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. So this is the section of scripture that, that teaches us about what we refer to as the rapture. The rapture describes the point. I would also call it the resurrection because that's really what it is. It's a time when, when we're resurrected. The rapture describes the point in time when the Christian will be caught up to meet Jesus. And it also describes the time when our bodies will be changed from mortal to immortal or resurrected. For anyone who dies prior to the rapture, their bodies are here on earth in the ground and their spirit is present with the Lord. That's the way it works right now. When a Christian dies, when somebody we love dies, that there was the Lord, they go to be with Jesus in spirit in this kind of intermediate state. But at some point when he comes back, the body and the spirit need to be reunited and changed into this heavenly resurrected body that we will have for eternity. If you're, you know, if you're alive when Jesus comes back, your body and spirit should still be together at that point if everything's going right. Um, but, but it hasn't been changed yet. So that still needs to happen. It still needs to be changed into the resurrected heavenly body. And so that's why that has to occur. And, and according to 1 Corinthians 15, it says that all of this happens in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. So it, it happens quickly. Everyone agrees that this rapture or resurrection will occur. We just differ as to when it will occur. Okay. That's where we have these phrases like pre-trib rapture and post-trib rapture. And there's other groups out there that I'm not going to go into. So if you're, you know, don't, don't get mad if you're in another group and I'm leaving you out today. I'm just doing general overview kind of stuff. So these are just biblical theories that did attempt to explain the timing of these events. The Bible also talks about a time of great tribulation that happens prior to the Lord's return, where the world unites under one leader, the Antichrist, and, and they believe that he's bringing peace and safety. So that's kind of the, the mindset there. The people of God at this time are persecuted like never before, and many are martyred for their allegiance to Christ. And then at the end of this tribulation time, the wrath of God is poured out in judgment on those who reject God. And this is where we see the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls, right? So pre-trib rapture people believe that Jesus returns secretly to pull Christians out of the world before the tribulation period begins. Post-trib people believe that Christians are kept through that period and raptured at the second coming of Christ or on the day of the Lord. It's the same event, okay? I used to hold to the pre-trib view, um, and, and this is, you know, there, there are problems with all the views. I'm not trying to say there's not, but I can tell you that if you hold the, the pre-trib view, you necessarily have to have two comings of Jesus, a secret one and a public one. You have to have two resurrections, one for Christians who died before the tribulation period and one for those who died during the tribulation period. And you have to have two last trumpets. Because 1 Corinthians 15 is a passage that is a so-called pre-trib rapture passage that includes the last trumpet. And we have other times where it's the coming of the Lord, the day of the Lord, and you have a last trumpet. So you have to reconcile those things. And, and I remember in Bible college being told, well, that's the last trumpet for the church. And this is the last trumpet for, you know, and it's like, well, why are they two, you know, why do we have to have two different last trumpets? And that's what I mean about gymnastics. That's 
kind of what I'm getting at. If you hold to the post-tribulation view, you have one coming, one rapture, one last trumpet. So this is part of why I am where I am. So Paul is continuing on in, in chapter five with more information. He's been, he's, he hasn't changed subjects as some people want to say. He's been talking about the, the parousia, the coming of the Lord. Now he's moving on to the talk about the day of the Lord, which I believe is the same thing. The day of the Lord is a familiar Old Testament um, phrase that would have meant, you know, something to, to those people at that time. And it should mean something to us as well, because it refers to this end of the world event when God comes to judge the world, to destroy evil and to vindicate his people. Now, if you missed that, I just want to say it again, because this is like, this is the stuff right here. God comes to judge the world, destroy evil and vindicate his people. If you've ever sat there and thought, how long, Lord, before you come back? How long will you put up with all that's going on? How long, Lord, before, you know, you get your day? You know, this is the day of the Lord. This is the time when Jesus finally gets his day. And I can't wait for it. It is going to be amazing. Now, no doubt. Some of you guys, like I said, were challenged by what David brought last week, what I'm saying right now. And I just want you to know that we've been challenged by these things as well. This is stuff that we wrestled through. I used to, um, man, I used to fight about this kind of stuff a lot with people that had a different view than me. And I never thought I would change my view. And I did. I remember attending a Bible college shortly after becoming a Christian. It was called Moody Northwest, which is very much a pre-tribulation dispensational kind of school. I was taught that when it comes to end times views, the correct view, there, there is the correct view, pre-trib rapture, and a bunch of dumb views that dumb people have. That, and I, they didn't really say it that way, but that's kind of the way they said it. And so I remember at the time thinking, well, pff, you know, which one do you want to hold to, Brent? And it's like, well, I'm not dumb, duh. So I'm not holding any of the dumb views. I'll stick with the view, you know, that you're teaching because it's the correct one. And I didn't really question it. It also just happened to be the view that I liked the best because you know, I know you look at me and see this, you know, this rugged guy that can go through anything. <laughs> I don't want to go through any tribulation, let alone something called the great tribulation. I mean, that just sounds terrifying to me. So the idea that I can get out of that, yeah, sign me up for that every time, you know, beam me up, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm all about that. The problem occurred several years later when, um, some of these so-called dummies who had a different view challenged me and said, can you go to the scriptures forgetting everything you think is true, everything that you, you know, that you're, um, you think is there and still defend, defend your view, which I was all too eager to do. I remember thinking, absolutely. I'll do that. I'll show these guys what's up. You know, they will rue the day they met Brent Maxwell. That's, that was my attitude going in. Cause I knew everything at that point. And one of the sections I went to first was right here in First Thessalonians. I thought this will this will be the anchor to my argument. This will, you know, just stop them in their tracks. And and it, I was just shocked by what I read. <clears throat> Coming in with it's that little, that little seed of doubt. As I started to read this, it became like you know, like when you when you see a thread and you start to pull on it. That's what it was. It started to just unravel the whole thing right before my eyes. And I remember just thinking, how did I not see this before? And and the reason is I wasn't really looking for it. And I didn't really want to see it. So this is the section, just so you know, chapter five, um, that I was taught defended the idea of this secret rapture or the first stage of Jesus's coming, where he sneaks in like a thief in the night to remove the church from the world. And everyone left in the world would wonder, where did all the Christians go, right? This is where you have the, the clothes and the airplane and the cars abandoned. And, you know, I've been left behind. You guys have seen the movies. And there's the Larry Norman song for the really old timers. You know, I wish we'd all been ready. Thank you. You are old, see? She was right. <laughs> Um, 
Now, as I read through the first five verses of chapter five, I want you to see if, the, see if you can see the dilemma that I was facing. So it starts out with, in verse one, it says, now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And there it was. I'm like, yes, there it is. You know, mic drop. It's like that. But you got to keep reading. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you as a thief. For you are children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So Jesus does come as a thief, but who does he come like a thief to in this passage? Who is unprepared and surprised by his coming? It's not the Christian. It's, it's the unbeliever. They won't be expecting it, but according to what this says, we will. It, it kind of describes this idea of, of unbelievers bragging about peace and security. And you can kind of picture this at the end of the age. The Antichrist is in power. The Christians are gone and out of the way. You know, we don't have to put up with those guys anymore. God's, you know, they're mocking God. They're mocking this idea of, of his power and his wrath and his judgment. And, and they're saying peace and security. And then it says sudden destruction comes upon them and there is no escape. That sounds exactly like what happens at the end of the tribulation period when Jesus returns. It gives me goosebumps just talking about it because this is a terrifying picture. It likens it to when a woman starts to feel contractions and once, once it starts, there's no going back. Nothing can be done to stop the inevitable outcome and that's the reality of what the unbeliever will face. So this is teaching us that the non-believer will not be prepared for the day of the Lord, but the Christian, according to Paul, should be. And he's talking to them as though they will be there when it happens. Don't miss that. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. The plain sense of what he says is we will be there too. We just won't be surprised by it. Now, he also starts this chapter, I don't know if you noticed that when we started in five, by saying there isn't any need for him to say anything to them about the times and the season surrounding the day of the Lord. Well, why can he say that? Because he's already taught them about it and because of what the Bible teaches about it. He knows that this should be familiar to them. Now, the Bible does tell us, I want to make sure that we're all on the same page, that no man can know the day or the hour, right? We can't. But it doesn't say that we won't know something about the times and the seasons. It actually indicates that we will. We'll have certain signposts, certain things that we'll know that will, will help us to identify what's going on. And this is confirmed for us by Jesus himself. Um, in Matthew 24, you might flip over there because we're going to be in there for a little bit. Jesus actually concludes this passage by, by saying what I just said regarding the day and the hour. He said, but concerning, this is in verse um, 36 of 24. But concerning the day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the son, but the father only. We shouldn't spend any time trying to figure that out, right? That's, that's where you get goofy books like 88 reasons why the rapture will occur in 1988. You remember that, that one? Yeah, they were wrong, just like everybody else tries to figure it out. So we don't need to sit there and try to figure that out. But that doesn't mean we won't have any clues about the, the you know, the, the times and seasons. And, and we see that at the beginning of the chapter. So if you go to the first part of Matthew, it begins with his disciples coming privately to Jesus and asking him this. Tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign of your coming and, and of the end of the age. And then Jesus goes on to tell them all the things they can expect and pay attention to the stuff that he talks about because he's talking to the church there. And, and I want to point that out because I was taught in Bible college that he was talking to a large group of Jewish people. 
the, the church wouldn't be there at that time. They would be raptured out. So he's just talking to the Jews who would be present at that time. But it says that his disciples came to him privately. The, the future leaders of the church said, tell us what to look for, Lord. And he tells them. And this is also confirmed for us in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, which I don't want to go into that because I'll be stealing somebody's thunder in a couple of weeks. But the same exact thing happens there where the Christians thought they'd missed the coming of the Lord. They thought they'd missed the day of the Lord. And they, they, Paul had to like contact them and say, no, guys, you didn't miss it. It's okay. Remember, this is what I told you to look for. I'm just going to read it because it's, it's really good. Chapter 2 of Thessalonians or 2 Thessalonians. It says this. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, that's the parousia, and our being gathered together, that, that sounds like the rapture, right? To him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. He's taken the coming of the Lord, the parousia, and the day of the Lord and made them the same event. Just so you're, you know, it's right there. And then he goes on to tell them all the things that they need to see before that happens. You don't have to worry about it. He hasn't come yet. Remember, you're going to see the abomination of desolation. You're going to see the son of perdition. He just works through this list of stuff that we're supposedly not supposed to be here for if you believe the preacher of rapture. Why is he telling them this stuff as though they would be there? Okay, back to Matthew 24. This is what Jesus told his disciples when he asked them about the signs of his coming. And I just want to point out, if there was a secret rapture, if the church wasn't going to be there, something like that was going on, you'd think he would have just made that really clear. And and I don't think he does. So the only mention of his return comes at the last part, and it doesn't sound secret at all, but we'll get there. So starting in verse four, Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. They will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See to it that you are not alarmed for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these things are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Boy, does that not seem to be happening right now. And because, I'm sorry, I just read the same thing. But the one who endures till the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So three things he points out there. He, he says, don't worry about missing my coming. You won't. You can't. That's really the indication. If somebody says this or somebody says that, don't worry about it. You won't be able to miss this thing. He also says he won't return until the gospel has reached all of its intended recipients. So we don't, we don't have to worry about that. I love that. He's waiting. He's not slow in keeping his promise. As some count slowness, he wants to make sure that all come to repentance that are going to come in. And, and he's waiting. When that last stone gets placed on the building, he'll return. And then he also says that things are going to get worse prior to his return. Now, I think most of us believe that. There, there probably aren't a lot of post-mill people in our midst, but maybe there are. He describes things are going to ramp up and get worse and worse and worse. And we are seeing that happening right now, which should tell us as Christians his return is nearer. But what I see so many Christians doing is saying, well, wow, things are getting worse. We should put a stop to this. You know, what can we do to reverse the, and I understand, believe me, I don't want to see things get worse. I don't like it. But when you, I mean, it's kind of like, guys, I think things are going according to plan. I think this is exactly what he described would happen. So maybe we don't need to freak out when we start to see this happen. Maybe it's an indication that 
he, he's really close to coming back. I'm not predicting his, you know, that wasn't a day in the hour thing. Don't, don't throw rocks at me, but maybe this is just what's supposed to happen. Okay. Jesus continues with more things they should look for, uh, as signs of his return. I just want to say, as we go through this, this is dualistic prophecy because he's talking about something that would happen in about 40 years. Um, I'm sorry. No, this is 40 years, right? This is 80 and 80, 70. The temple is going to get destroyed by the emperor Titus. He's going to come in and wipe it out. He warns the people at that time, make sure you get out of town when this starts to happen. So there's, there's that prophecy that's happening, but you can't see the second hill until you get past the first hill. And that's where there's things that haven't happened yet, I believe. And so he's, he's telling uh, two parts here. And this prophecy is helping the people be prepared right then and there for what's about to happen. And it's helping us still to be prepared for what's still to come, which is kind of cool to think about. Jesus can give one prophecy that helps his people then and now. All right. Verse 15. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. This is the idea of what they would have seen this in AD 70 when Titus came into the temple and wiped it out. But there's still something, I believe, future. Um, he, he goes on to tell them to get out of town basically at that time. And then in verse 21, he picks up again. And this is where I believe he's speaking about something different. For then there will be great tribulation, such as not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. I don't believe we've seen this yet. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. He's saying it's not possible, praise God. But if it were possible, we would be deceived by whatever happens, but we're not going to be. Then he goes on to say, for... I'm sorry. See, I have told you beforehand. That's that that section in in verse 25. See, I have told you beforehand those wonderful words. So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming, the parousia of the son of man. He's telling them there's no way they're going to be able to miss it. Have you ever been in a, like a dark night and there's a bolt of lightning? Pretty hard to miss, right? This bolt of lightning travels from the east all the way around. I mean, it sounds like it circles the sky. There's no way to miss this thing. And he goes on to describe it in greater detail in verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather the elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. His coming, I just want you to notice this because if you go back to chapter four of Thessalonians, which people say is the preacher of rapture account and you read what we just read, they're saying the same stuff. That's why I say be consistent. Listen, his coming involves angels, it involves a loud trumpet call and it involves the gathering of the elect. If you don't see those two things as being the same thing, I, I mean, I think you're trying not to see it that way. It's the same stuff. Okay. If you're a good Christian right now and a good pre-trip person, you're going to say, well, I notice you've conveniently left out the best part of Matthew 24. That is the ironclad passage in regards to the rapture. And that's the whole thing about in the days of Noah. If you're a pre-trip person, you know what I'm talking about. This is the, you know, there's two people and one gets taken away. It's like, see, there's the rapture. You're just ignoring that. Well, since you're coming at me, I'll go ahead and address it. All right, (laughs) fine. We'll go there. Uh, This is in Matthew 24 also. And in verse 36, 
Um, this is where it talks about concerning the day and the hour. Nobody knows. In verse 37, it says, For as it was in the days of Noah, so will be the coming, the parousia of the Son of Man. Okay? And then we keep reading. For as in, for as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in a field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. People say that's the pre-trib rapture. See, one guy gets raptured and he, you know the car's empty and all that. That's what they say. But look at what it says again. Again, you know, does, I don't want, if I tell you it tastes like dog, that's what you're going to taste. That's, it's one of these things again. What is it saying? Just as it was in the days of Noah. Well, in the days of Noah, they were saying peace and safety, peace and security. God's not going to flood anything. You guys are crazy for building that ark. We don't have to worry about any, anything like that. And then sudden destruction came upon them and they were swept away by God's wrath. So this idea of two people standing there and one gets swept away or taken away. You don't want to be the one that was taken away in this scenario. You see how we flip that around and we're acting like there's a secret rapture? There's no indication of that there. He's saying just like it was in the days of Noah, the one that remained was Noah and his family. The one that got swept away in God's wrath, that's, that's the part you don't want. So again, I don't think that's what that's teaching at all. You, you can come at me later still. It's okay. All of this is to say the day of the Lord is coming, but we are not in darkness for that day to surprise us as a thief. He has told us beforehand so that we will have an idea of the times and the seasons and be comforted by knowing these things and praise God that he's done that. I am so grateful for these passages where Jesus made sure we were in the loop when it comes to this stuff. I heard a quote the other day that um, you might agree with or might not, but Sam Elliott said it, so that gives it some credence. (laughs) He said, the most terrifying thing on this planet is the unknown or maybe arts and crafts. (laughs) But but I think they they tie into each other. you know, this, this resonates with me because I'm the kind of person that if, if, if even going to a store that I've never been to before, I can get freaked out about it. I mean, if, if it's unknown, I can create, stop laughing at me. My daughter-in-law is laughing. She knows I, I can do this. I don't like the unknown. I don't like what's uncertain. And Jesus has said, you know what, guys, I get that. And I'm going to make sure that you have an idea of what's up. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to not keep you in darkness. I'm going to be gracious to you guys and give you just a sneak peek. So, you know, and you won't be caught off guard and you won't be surprised. And how gracious is that of God to do that for us? People are scared right now. Everything seems to be uncertain. And, and people are just scared to death of what the future may hold. If you get onto the news right now and just look at the economy, uh, you know, wars, what Russia's about to do to Ukraine. I mean, you can go on and on. China, what are they up to, man? They're doing some crazy. You could really freak yourself out right now if you didn't think that God was on his throne and in control and that things were going according to plan. People are afraid. We don't have to be. We don't have to be. We're not left in the dark. He's told us beforehand so that we can be prepared. So how do we live in, in light of Christ's certain return? That's really the idea of the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is coming and we need to be looking forward to it and anticipating it and ready. And that's what we see in, in the next part of First Thessalonians 5, starting in verse 6. It says, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. 
Christians are called to live their lives as though Jesus could come back anytime. That's the mindset that we're supposed to have. Is that how you live? Are you ready today? What would your life look like if you were? You know, have you ever been so excited to see somebody like one of your kids is coming home or something and you can't wait? So you, you can hardly sleep. I mean, I, I can sleep <laughs> just about anything, but, but you're so excited that you just, you know, you stay up. This is kind of the idea that's given here. Jesus is coming back and we're supposed to have this, this anticipation where we can't, we can't wait. And we're so excited that we can't sleep. Now, obviously we're still supposed to sleep as Christians, but this, you get the, you get the picture. Knowing that Jesus could return at any moment should be very sobering as well. It, it should jolt us and keep us on high alert all the time. This book was written about 50 AD, and he expected those Christians to be this way almost 2,000 years ago. What does that mean for us in this room today? How, how much more expectant, how much more on high alert, how much more awake should we be to this possibility? Now, you might say 2,000 later, you know, that's 2,000 years is a long time, and it's like, well, the Lord sure, sure is slow in keeping his promise, but the Bible answers that, doesn't it, brothers and sisters? Right? A day is like a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years like a day. So that means he's been gone a couple days, <laughs> you know, it's like, that's not very long. And, uh, I don't know when he's coming back, but a couple days. Yeah. I love the contrast that Paul gives between those who are going to meet Jesus as their savior and those who are going to meet him as their judge. One lives in the light and the other in the darkness. One is of the day, the other of the night. One is awake and the other asleep. And one is sober and the other is drunk. One is focused on Jesus and one is focused on themselves. And I would just ask you, what describes you right now in regards to your readiness for Jesus's return? Have you, have you stumbled into complacency and, and just become all about yourself and, and really forgotten about that reality of that home and that world? We need to be ready. And I love that verse nine includes for us, because I know a lot of the stuff I've just said might be freaking some of you out. Like we may have to go through the tribulation period. That sounds terrifying. And I don't want to do that. But in verse nine, he actually tells us that we have not been appointed to wrath. And this is such a key thing for us to understand. And even in, in Revelation three, when he's talking to the churches, Jesus said he would keep them from the hour of trial that is coming upon the earth. Now, I want to make sure you understand what that means. That doesn't mean that a Christian won't have to go through tribulation or trial or persecution in that regard. So there's the wrath of God, then there's the wrath of man. Jesus never promised that we wouldn't have to go through the wrath of man. In fact, he said the world will probably, they'll hate you and they'll want to, they'll want to do bad things in that regard. When it comes to the wrath of God, we don't have to worry about that. And the reason we don't have to worry about that is because Jesus took that upon himself. He took God's wrath for us. So if you can imagine like God had, you know, his wrath gun pointed at you and you deserved it, Jesus stepped in front of that and said, I'll take that so that we don't have to. That's an amazing thing to think about. We never have to deal with the judgment of God because Jesus did that for us. What an amazing thing to think about. In regards to the tribulation time, um, it may be largely persecution from man. And there's no reason that we should think we shouldn't have to go through that. We may. When it comes to the wrath of God, that's why pre-trib rapture view, you know, that, that view is, says, well, we can't go through wrath, so we can't be there for that. Well, I would answer that a couple ways. One, can God protect his people from wrath while they're on the earth? Has he ever done that before? Yeah, a few times, right? We have a great example of the Passover where the angel of death came over and the only people that affected is those who weren't marked, whose doorposts weren't sealed, right? We see it with Noah and the ark. We see that very clearly. We even see it in Revelation 
which is the definitive passage on, you know, this whole thing, Revelation 9, 4. There's these things called scorpion locusts, which I don't ever want to see <laughs> at all, but they come out to play. And this is what it says. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. God can protect his people through wrath. It's not, it's not a big thing to him. So we don't have to worry about that. The other thing that's just probably true is there may not be a lot of Christians left when that time comes, because we know that that's a time when Christians are going to be martyred and persecuted like never before. The Bible makes that very clear. In fact, there's a picture in Revelation 7 where John sees this multitude of people that cannot be numbered. And he says, who are these people? And he, and he gets his answer. And he said, they're made up of people from every tongue, tribe and nation, which by the way, not just Jewish people in that time, but people of every tribe, tongue and nation. And when he asks who they are, he's told that they are the ones that came out of the great tribulation. It's the idea that these were people that died during that time. I don't know what's going to happen at the end, but there's a good chance that when Jesus does come back to start, you know, unleashing some of this stuff, that there may not be many of us even here to have to worry about his wrath at that point. But if we are here, we can be assured that we will not have to go through that. And that's a comfort to me. Again, see, I have told you beforehand. Thank you, Lord, that you've done that. All right. I got completely off my notes, so I got to look back and see where I'm at. I love that um, Jesus has also promised that he would never leave us or forsake us, that, that whether we're alive or dead, we're going to live with him. Um, that, that's for sure. And he's given us his spirit to endure anything that comes our way. But verse 8 talks about a couple of pieces of armor that we can put on that will help us get through this time as well. The breastplate of faith and love, and then for a helmet, the hope of salvation. So that, I love that idea. I don't know if you picked up on those, but faith, love, and hope. You heard that somewhere before in the Bible, right? He says those things will, will help you get through this. And I think, well, how? Well, faith. I know that Jesus is coming again and, and that he's prepared a place for me and that I have an eternal home. So no matter what happens here, I know what my eternity holds and, and it's good. Love. I know that I am loved by God because Jesus went to the cross on my behalf and died in my place willingly, knowing who I am, knowing what I'm like. He did that because he loves me. And if he did that for me, what's he not going to do for me? It's like, well, I gave you my son. I let him be crushed for you. But, you know, you're on your own when it comes to this end time stuff. It's like, no, that's ridiculous. He loves me. I'm precious to him. I don't understand why I am, but I know I am because Jesus died for me. He loves me. So that's like armor for me to hold on to. And then hope. I know... I know that he's come. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I know that I, you know, he's, he's coming for me and that I will be his for all eternity. So I have these three things that I can, I can wrap myself in. This passage ends with, with these words, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. This is a topic that should encourage the Christian. It should give us hope. It should cause us to be secure and not scared. So if you're scared, you're viewing this wrong. This should give us all the hope we need to get through whatever comes our way, knowing that in the end, Jesus wins and we win with him. The day of the Lord will come, the day when Jesus finally gets his due and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is who he said he is. And we get to be witnesses of that. Wow. Can't wait for that.
Okay. Can't see anything anymore either, but brothers and sisters live as though today could be the day filled with faith and love and hope. And if there are people that you need to talk to about this Jesus who's going to come, now's the time. Today is the day of salvation. If you've been putting off meeting the Lord, today is the day of salvation. Amen? All right. Father, thank you so much that you were so gracious to us that knowing how, how frail we are and how um, scared we get that you have, you have told us beforehand so that we don't have to freak out. We don't have to spin out of control and wonder. Lord, thank you for, for being so good to us. Lord, we don't know when you're coming back, but we know it could be any day. It could be soon, and we want to be ready for that. So help us to be people who live awake and alert and sober and, and anticipate it. Lord, the, the time is short of that, we, we believe. And so help us to make the most of the days you've given us. And, and thank you again so much for giving us a Savior who has taken the wrath that we deserve so that we don't have to that we get to live with you for eternity. Lord, we are grateful and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.